Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist, to focus more on the emotional connection than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. Hello, listeners. Welcome to episode 203 of the Feelin' Film Podcast. I'm Aaron, one of your hosts, and here to discuss one of this year's best-reviewed movies is my best friend and podcast partner, who I absolutely would never divorce, Patrick. Hey, everyone. That's weird, but I think it's a compliment. <laughs> it was meant to be. Okay, we, good. Despite some fights and uh, wall punching, you know, we'll get yes. through it. All right. <laughs> we are, of course, here to chat about Noah Baumbach's impressive, devastating new feature film, Marriage Story. We are obviously, due to our name, strong believers in the emotional impact that films can have. And this one hits as hard as any in a very long time. And with that, here is your spoiler warning. We are going to talk about this film in detail. So if you have not seen it, fire it up on Netflix and watch it and then come back and hear this conversation. And hopefully you will enjoy. As we always do, we're going to get started with our one word takeaways. So Patrick, kick us off. I struggled with what word I wanted to really sum up my emotional takeaway from this, and I settled on unfair. Uh, there were a couple others that were contenders, and they'll probably come up in the discussion, but unfair really stood out to me because, one, it's unfair that you have such fantastic acting performances from Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson. I think they're both just pretty amazing, but the the whole subject of divorce and how it's dealt with in this film is one that is incredibly unfair. It makes me feel unfair at the process that has to take place in terms of how two people deal with legally ending a relationship, legally ending a romance, a partnership, a commitment to one another and having that collateral damage exist in the form of lawyers, in the form of custody battles, in the form of every other weekend and every other holiday. It's something that I'm familiar with, but only on a tertiary level because I'm grateful to not have experienced that directly. I, I am married to a woman who has experienced that in terms of her adopted parents. And it's something that I only hear about and and I see it depicted on screen in different ways, sometimes for fun, sometimes like this movie in a serious type manner. But I've never experienced it firsthand. And I got to tell you, the actual story itself had me weeping. And that's a testament to what uh, Bombach is doing in this in this movie he's telling something that I am really unfamiliar with but has gotten me to feel something that I never want to experience and to me that's that's a win in the worst way possible because of the fact that I don't want to feel this way but it's a it's a movie that I think is up there with Joker with Manchester by the Sea in terms of making you feel something so just incredibly depressing and incredibly weighted that that's the intent. And when you walk away having that on your on your shoulders and in your heart, 
you really do feel like, wow, it's unfair. It really is unfair that I have to feel this way. It's unfair that um, these stories are real, that this is not just something that's made up. It's something that happens every day, unfortunately. But I think more than anything, it's uh, it's unfair that um, in some ways we don't get more of these stories because I think they speak to the education that, that we need uh, to experience those things that we may not necessarily be familiar with to help us understand those that go through it. Very good stuff. I agree with all of that. And it's actually something that you pointed out there that I've been having conversations with folks since this released on Friday about those who may seem to think that there's no value in this outside of just being a depressing movie. Um, I actually feel very strongly that, you know, if we can show this is not, this is not something shown in a positive light. And it feels like some people seem to think it is because of it's a happy outcome. It's a cheery outcome to some people. I don't understand that. Well, we'll get into it, but uh, I do hope that maybe this can steer people away from wanting to struggle through this process um, in some way, but by all means, by developing empathy for those that are going through it all the time. Uh, people we know. My one more takeaway was personal. During Charlie's first meeting with Bert, his first lawyer, played by Alan Alda, the lawyer tells him that, quote, getting divorced with a kid can be one of the hardest things you can ever do. It's like a death without a body. And that line has stuck with me since the first time I saw the movie in a press screening. Uh, so I just want to go ahead and frame this upcoming convo for the listeners who may not know. I am twice divorced, uh, personally, obviously, and the second one was a pretty painful experience that included living on opposite coasts from my kids for nearly two years. And so I relate very deeply with much of what is depicted in this story, and I know that I'm not going to be the only one. So to me, divorce is like a death without a body. The only time I've ever felt suicidal in my life was because of the helplessness and the hopelessness that I experienced during that time in my life. And I just, you know, I pray that I never feel that way again, and I wouldn't wish it on anyone. And I think what makes Marriage Story brilliant is that Bombac has captured that. And the waves of changing emotions and the challenges that so many couples face. It, marriage story is a reflection of what I would call beautifully flawed couple. Um, then, it, and it really gives an insight into the awful process of divorce. That's what the highlight is here, or the, the focus. I don't know if the highlight's the right word, but that's what the focus is here. And it hurts like hell to experience it. Um, like you said, for yourself, even not having gone through it yourself. But maybe it can serve as a caution to someone. And, you know, maybe it can be more than just poetic, great art. It is definitely my favorite and what I consider the best film of the year. And I think that in large part, that's definitely just because of how personal it is to me. And I can't separate that from you know my viewing experience of it. So I think that I'm ready to talk about it now. But, you know, just bear with me as we go. And quick side note, you know, since I just mentioned the word earlier above, I thought I might say this. 
this is a topic that can be very traumatic for people and can bring up really, really painful feelings. And if you're going through this, you may have had the same feelings I did of not wanting to go on. And so, you know, if you're struggling with that and you're listening to this, um, just going to take a cue from our friends, victims and villains out there and, and say, don't fight this alone. You know, reach out for someone to someone for help and, uh, you know, call the suicide hotline if you ever are feeling that depressed about anything, uh, including a, a failed marriage. So, all right. With that out of the way, in any marriage and divorce, there are two perspectives, two people. And I think that one of the keys to telling this story in a fair way is to really give equal consideration to both how Nicole and Charlie viewed their marriage as well as how they feel about the divorce. And I wondered how that worked for you because, and I, I'm, I'm excited that you're going to answer some of these questions first. And we're going to start with you because I do feel that having gone through this, that my perspective might be a little different from what yours might be. I might be a little more biased on certain things. I mean, there are scenes in this movie, Patrick, that are like blatantly uh, copies of real life moments that I have had in my life. Um, and they're hard to even think about, much less go through again. So for me, that was very important that both sides perspective is shown. Do you think that that was accomplished? I do. It was hard to watch a, a lot of the time because there were times when it felt like it was Nicole's story. And it was probably triggered by the fact that the movie opens with such a beautiful, beautiful monologue, I guess, between, not between, but within, between the two, between like Nicole. Montage. I guess you could say that. Yeah. I mean, Charlie says his stuff about her. She says her stuff about him. And it, it really sets you up for an ironic twist early on because I asked you before watching this, do I need to go in blind or can I read the synopsis? And you said, go in blind. And there wasn't a big twist. It wasn't like, oh my gosh, it's about this. I mean, I knew in a sense what it was about because of your reaction to it, but I wanted to have as clean of a slate as possible. And so when you start with this set of characteristics, these descriptions of Charlie describing Nicole and Nicole describing Charlie, I'm, I'm setting up in my head, okay, what's happening here? Are they, who are they talking to? And then we see them in the therapist's office and we, what we see is Nicole refusing to read her stuff out loud. So what, what that tells us is that these are all internal, that it's the, it's the monologue within for these two characters. And so as the movie went on, it did feel like it balanced itself out. I'm not going to say that equal screen time was given to both actors. I wasn't paying attention to that, but I felt like you had a point counterpoint type of methodology where you had a scene with Nicole and her lawyer. And then you had a scene with Charlie and one of his lawyers. And 
what you got was you got that point counterpoint, but because of the fact that Charlie's going through multiple lawyers because things are happening as the as the story takes place, you come to find out more about these characters in relationship to the people that they're interacting with, with Nicole's family, how Charlie his relationship is with them and how that's starting to alter. But I really feel like like Bumbuck gave a really equal value to both because I think he recognizes that divorce is a two-way street. It may be triggered by one person making the decision, but two people have to be involved, especially, especially if there's a child involved. Because now you've got, and I'm not going to call children collateral damage. I don't mean it when I say that, but they become a focal point. And what I thought was done really well is over the course of the movie, you had um, you had Henry who was Henry. Yes, you had Henry who was in the middle of all this, kind of experiencing it. And I know we can probably talk about that a little later. But I I, I don't feel like it was one sided. I don't feel like it was him telling her story or him telling Charlie's story. I think it was a marriage story. And I think that's a little bit ironic. Why, you know, why was this not called divorce story? Because that's what this was. I think it was about the story of their marriage and how, not how it led to this divorce, but what they were losing as the narrative went on. We had to find out, okay, they're losing little bits of each other of their marriage, of what they called their marriage, what their story was. It may not have been a story that I necessarily would call a marriage story or my marriage story, but it was definitely theirs. And so I felt like through the process of going through a divorce, we find out more about what their marriage was like. And I think it was fitting that it was called that. Yeah, it's a deep irony in that. And I think it's a little bit of a fun play on words as well. Um, it's a little bit more positive, too, when you go into the movie. I'll be honest, I don't know if I knew it was about a divorce in detail or not i guess i did but i didn't know what to expect and so that really threw me for a loop at the opening i mean i was caught off guard i really was shocked when we pull back from that montage of them reading those letters to her sitting there saying no i'm not going to read this and there they are in a therapist's office and we go from hearing all of these amazing, sweet things that they're saying about each other, recounting the best qualities that each other has to offer to immediate digs right off the bat. You know, Charlie is doing the classic thing that happens in therapy with couples where one person wants to be on the good side of the therapist. And, and you know, Nicole says, I don't want to read this. I don't feel good about this. And Charlie's like, well, I'll read mine. And, you know, I feel good about what I wrote and, and I love her comeback. I mean, her line when she walks out is actually quite hilarious, of course, um, which I won't quote on this show, but before that he points out, he says, well, she always said that my writing wasn't bad. I would love to read mine because I think that my writing is quite good. And you start to immediately get a sense of like, okay, now we're in that place. So we're in that place of progression in this relationship. And for those of us who've gone through that, and even for people, I mean, I know you've been through lots of therapy sessions and, um, and I don't know if you did premarital counseling, but this can be a thing for any kind of couples counseling where it's hard. Like you want, you want to win in an ass, in some aspects, you want to be right 
you know? And so there's those elements that automatically display themselves right off the bat and it just twists around. And I think you're absolutely right in saying that over the course of them going through this divorce process, we learn about their marriage. And one thing that was important for me was that they are married. And so, you know, when I, I've gone through mine, one of them was a very lengthy, like year and a half long process. I, th- I think when we were separated before a divorce and people would always immediately refer to me as not being married. There's a scene in this movie that speaks to that where Charlie's talking to Marianne and she's like, well, we did it when you weren't married and that was wrong, but now you're not married. And so shouldn't we be doing it? Cause it's fine. And he goes, I am still married. And yet in other scenes, he refers to himself as divorced. And to me, I picked up on that because there is, that is a very realistic thing that happens. You get stuck in this limbo place and you don't know what you are. You're still married. You may be separated. You may be struggling through. You may be planning to end the marriage, but you're married. It has not been dissolved. Um, and it starts to, kind of come back to like, what do you consider a marriage? Is it just a legal piece of paper? Is it the feelings of romance that you have inside you? Is it a commitment? And at what point is that commitment broken? Is that legal or is that just the switch inside you that flips off, you know? Yeah. Yeah, there's an ambiguity that I didn't quite understand before watching this movie. And when you're in a therapist's office, I have not gotten to a point where I'm that way with Krisha when we've talked with our therapist. But I will say this, for folks that have not gone through counseling, gone through therapy with their spouse, not necessarily because you're at odds with your spouse. I mean, there was a lot and still is always going to be quite a bit that we're working through together that causes tension between us, but it's not about each other. Like it's usually, it it has been, how do we parent our child or how do we deal with money or what do we do about the future? You know, things like that. And having a therapist on the positive side allows you that freedom to be able to say things. And I want to be very cautious when I say this to say things candidly, but there is a thin line. There's a very, very thin line that you can cross that becomes snark. It becomes sarcasm. It becomes a dig. It becomes an insult. And this is where I think the line is crossed. And I'm not going to make a sweeping generalization about those that go to therapy and cross that line don't want to get resolved. No, that's not the case at all. But therapy has the blessing and the curse of being the place where you have a mediator. You have a third person that you can actually voice your concerns to in front of your spouse or if not, or, or not, but you still have to be careful. And what I think was really beautiful here was that Charlie and Nicole write these amazing things down. I want to say this is probably my favorite opening of 2019. <laughs> I thought it was a fantastic, fantastic opening. And by the way, it was only fantastic because of the coda at the end. I think both of those bookends were beautiful. I thought, <laughs> I want a copy of her of her letter because it's amazing. Well, I have it <laughs> because <laughs> you know that really, did you see the nice picture of oh, the book? Oh my goodness, really? So that's what the books are. The two books that I got, one's blue, one's pink, and they are the letters themselves. And actually, when you when you open the books, these are, so folks listening, I guess, because <laughs> I'm like 
making hand gestures to Patrick. <laughs> um, uh, critics were sent these packages by Netflix for award season. They like to do this to butter us up. They didn't need to, but they did. Uh, and they sent us some books, art books for Irishmen and for Marriage Story. And for Marriage Story's book, it's two different small art books. One is blue, one is pink with the facing silhouettes of their heads, um, like, like there are on those Marriage Story posters uh, that they have out. And inside, they're like art from the movie with various scenes depicted, um, kind of from Charlie's perspective and his and from her perspective, Nicole's perspective and hers. And on the inside of the book is a little envelope with, you know, you can open it. And inside is a handwritten, what looks like a handwritten version of each of their letters. That's really um, cool. Yeah, it, it is. And I read them when I got it and I lost it and like sat in my carpet, like crying again, because they are, you're right. They're super sweet and they work so well with the ending of this. Yeah. And so what I was getting at was the fact that those letters that can be so beautiful can also be very cutting because there's real stuff in there because what you can see in one regard, the way it's written, Charlie could say all these great things about Nicole and Nicole could be saying all these great things about Charlie but if you read them differently, the way she would write them, she could easily use those quirks, those idiosyncrasies as reasons to end a, end a relationship. And this is where that ambiguity that you talk about really comes into play because that thing that I love about my wife that's an idiosyncrasy that makes her unique, if we're on the outs, if we have a small chance to reconcile a broken relationship – that then becomes ammo. It becomes fuel for me to say, you know what? I really don't love her. And the reason why is because of this, this, and this. Oh, and also she does this, where if we were in a good place, if we saw our relationship, we saw our marriage as healthy, and we saw those quirks as just that, these would be things that define her and make her unique to me. And that, I think, is something that is very, very fragile in this ambiguous world between marriage and divorce is what do those mean what do those things mean about is charlie a good dad for is that does that feel like a good thing for nicole or is it because he spends so much time with his son that he refuses to hang out with his wife does he does he give so much attention to his son which makes him a good dad that it also makes him a crappy husband so you could read that in two different ways and depending on where you are in the headspace watching the movie you could absolutely read it good or bad and even with the way that Nicole reads it in the film, her opening letter, I don't know if you noticed this, but it is distinctively more biting than Charlie's. Yes. There are a lot of backhanded compliments. There are a lot of, well, he does this and it's good most of the time. You know, I mostly think it's good that he does this thing, but it also kind of annoys me. And Charlie's is a lot less like that. His is more straightforward. Which is very interesting to me. Um, and, and you wonder, you know, you could get into the psychology of it. Like, is Charlie writing that letter trying, because that's really how he feels? Is he still in it more at that point than Nicole is? Or is he intentionally trying to quote unquote win by writing the best letter, you know? And, so, yeah. and this all is back to communication too. I, I like that because the whole movie frequently shows us the importance of communication in relationships. And it all culminates in a scene. 
that we will get into later. But the ending, you know, big Oscar moment for the two of them when they have this conversation and they spew all kinds of stuff out of their mouths at each other. But communication, communication, communication. Communication is the downfall of, uh, you know, a divorce proceeding in so many ways. Frequently we hear, just talk to my lawyer. No, you know, we can't get in a room and talk. Charlie's like, sit down with me. Let's do this. No, you need to go through my lawyer. This is something people face. And it does inhibit your ability to have any sort of reconciliation or to get honest with each other because there's these other forces that are kind of controlling the narrative between the two of you. And it's sick because it is just an extension of what likely is a massive amount of communication problems you had in your marriage in the first place, which is what led you to this point. Because communication is like one of the number one pitfalls of marriage. (laughs) I'm glad you mentioned that. When my wife and I got married, some of the premarital counseling that we got was fights and, you know, divorce being maybe uh, an extension of that are triggered by one of three things, communication, money, and sex. But the second and third always relate back to the first. Communication is the thing, a lack of communication, a miscommunication, overly communicating, not communicating enough, whatever, and how it relates to money and sex in particular is a killer in any relationship, period. Mm-hmm. But when you're talking about a commitment, a marriage, which is different, I, I don't know if the, this movie does this clearly, but I'm glad you mentioned that they are married. That the the idea of being married is important here. It's not just that they're in a relationship. And I I think what's happening here is there is a there is an agreement that marriage equals commitment. It's not two people living together, having a kid with the option to just move out or whatever. There is a level of commitment here that starts in the therapist's office. And I think that the while communication and miscommunication is an issue in any kind of relationship, I think it's amplified in a marriage because of that commitment that you make. Because there's this blanket saying, look, we're going to be together. The traditional wedding vows talk about better for worse, richer for poorer, sickness and health. These concrete statements of like, we're in this for as long as we're together. And when you, when you see how they respond to each other in that therapist's office, I didn't pick up on this. I'm glad you did, Aaron, that Charlie, he, he, he reads it very positively and he's willing to read it. But you do wonder if there's a manipulative tactic because as the movie goes on, I kind of started getting the idea that maybe he didn't want this and that maybe his marriage story, maybe the idea of what he sees marriage as or what he saw being married as is different than Nicole's. And I think that's where we get the tension is that they both discovered that they have two different definitions of what it means to be married. You are spot on or in lockstep with me because that is exactly what I saw it as too. Was it was, it was them discovering their marriage story and their desires and, and not even necessarily discovering their desires, but coming to terms with them, accepting them. You know, they, Charlie has acted a certain way and it's very clear what his desires have been for the last 10 years. 
in his actions and in his choices. It's him recognizing that and having to face it head on. And then the same with Nicole. So yes, absolutely agree with that. And I, I do have one question that has come up in our Facebook discussion group. So do you think that it's a problem at all for the movie to not take a stand and say marriage matters? Because in the end, this divorce happens and this couple walks away down separate sides of the street and they have agreed to end it and move on as they will with Charlie single, apparently, and Nicole in a relationship in the city she wants to live in. So it's not under a faith-based umbrella of what a marriage might be defined as. Um, and how did that affect your viewing of it? I guess, you know, did you feel like there was an understandable reason for them to be separating in the first place? And if you didn't feel that way, did it affect your ability to empathize with them at all? I didn't struggle with empathizing with these two characters, but I also went into this movie like I do with most understanding that it's important to understand worldviews and that each person has a different worldview when it comes to how they see marriage, how they see divorce, how they see raising kids, how they see education. And that's been a, a really eye-opening thing for me over the last several years. Um, I've, I've learned to appreciate and value worldviews that differ from my own as I have been exposed to more um, racial reconciliation strategies and understanding systemic racism, um, those things that exist, understanding that the way I parent my child is different than the way other people parent theirs. I mean, even you, know, you and I, we could do a cross comparison of how we parent our children, and they're different. It's not right or wrong, it's just different. But it's also based on circumstances. The fact that you're a, a single dad and you have your kids every other weekend, it's going to change how you interact with them. The way you play with them is different than the way that I play with my child. The way that I interact with my wife is different than the way somebody else does. We have, and that's all really influenced by our worldview in relation to others. So when we walk through their story, I didn't feel like, there was an intentionality to downplaying the importance of marriage. I think there was an emphasis on the ugliness of ending it and the way in which that plays out. What we see are two people who are trying to be civil and not really for the sake of their son, but for the sake of each other. They're trying to mutually respect each other's space. And as they're walking through this and understanding that what they wanted or what they expected from this isn't working out. I don't feel like it was a, you know what, this didn't work, so let's just finish it and move on. I think that they did fight for it. I think they fought for what they thought was the thing that made them work well together. And as they were discovering that, that they were different, it made sense for them to sever that. 
there are reasons, I believe, my, my perspective, that people should divorce if there is, you know, and, and it's not a long list of things for me, but there are deal breakers. But my deal breakers are probably different than others. And I don't think that this movie devalues marriage. I think its intent was to say, here are two people that were committed and maybe they didn't show, maybe we didn't see that they were fighting for keeping them, keeping their relationship together. We're seeing the beginnings of it's over and we can't reconcile. So we're moving to what we see is probably the best thing for us. So I think the intent was more about the ugliness of divorce above the importance of marriage. Completely agree with that in every single way. Um, it didn't bother me at all either. And I think one thing that I found important to keep in mind when I was watching it, especially the second time around after responding so personally to it initially, was to realize that when I was bringing my own stories into this movie and I was comparing my lawyer experience and my fights and my visitation weekends and all of these things, those kind of start to merge together. And I tended to forget that this is somewhat autobiographical based on Noah Baumbach's life and his previous marriage to actress Jennifer Jason Lee. He's a director. She's an actress. These are celebrity lawyers. There is a very much different dynamic in play here and a different amount of money in play here than what I experienced. There, there are different, different differences, right? Definite differences, sorry, that um, exist and that will exist for these, this couple versus what most folks deal with. So while there are similarities, this is not like a one for one situation either. And I think that that's important to keep in mind that when we are very quick to want to judge somebody else's relationship, and especially in a movie like this where we're not supposed to be getting a four-hour epic of 10 years of marriage and then a year of divorce, all we're supposed to get is the backstory some quicks and, and then we're going to get enough of bits to, to character development while they go through the divorce without all of that year of following them. It's hard to judge them. And I think that's by design, Aaron. I think you've got this sense of someone who's not just trying to truncate a story, but who's trying to emphasize, look, this happens and I need you to get right into the mess. I want yes. you to experience the mess while I would agree that having a little context would help, the fact is we're intentionally not given that because we're probably getting our perceptions challenged because we do come from different places. I think coming from a faith base, I would probably 10 years ago have a different perspective on these people that I would now being 11 years into a marriage. There are things that they say, Aaron – that I have thought about saying to my wife. There are things that they've said that I have said to my wife that I've regretted saying. And there are things that they have said that I <laughs> have thought, 
hmm, that would be something I could hold in my pocket for a later date. Because that's what a relationship is. A relationship where you have history with someone, you know them intimately, and you want to love them deeply. And when they hurt you, that intimacy then becomes a weapon to expose them. And it, it, it makes me feel gross to think that I could do that, that I have the ability to cut with my tongue in the same breath that I have to lift up my wife and encourage her. And it scares me a little bit, honestly, to know that some of that dialogue is stuff that I've thought about and stuff that I've actually said. To me, that's what makes it real. Because it doesn't matter what the circumstances were that led to this. The fact is, those are real conversations. And those are conversations that can have damaging repercussions. Yeah, absolutely. And as we see in this movie, it varies clearly depicted. Once you say those things, you can't take them back. You just can't. And... Um, sorry, memories. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, so vilifying Charlie is something that folks online have talked about, right? Like Charlie is what many people feel clearly the one at fault in this relationship. If we're going to assign blame. And one of the interesting things that I kind of observed was exactly that. I mean, I didn't, I don't challenge that at all. I actually feel it's pretty clear that it's mostly Charlie's fault and that Charlie is a fairly selfish person who does not really have the desire to be married. Nicole actually tells him at one point uh, early on in the film, he's come to visit her for the first time (laughs) and he's surprised to get served divorce papers. And he says, I feel like I'm in a dream. That's how it feels. (laughs) It really does. And she responds by saying, you don't really want to be married anymore. Not really. You just don't want the disruption. (laughs) And he, he responds by saying, but I don't want this. And I, and I think he's confirming what she's saying. He doesn't want to deal with this chaos that is changing his life. She speaks to it in her letter how organized, how very detail-oriented this man is. Man, I relate to that. And so for him, it's less about her as it is the world in which he's created in its entirety being challenged and broken apart and brought about into something new. And I really feel that this is echoed at the end of the film very, very well because... Charlie is telling a story to his troop. It's right before he gets up and sings that really meta Sondheim song. And listeners, I don't want to go into all the details, but look up an article uh, about the song that Charlie sings. It harkens back to one of Sondheim's very first award-winning musicals that kind of plays with the idea of it being a first, you know, award-winning director in the film and also Bombeck's career. There's all kinds of stuff going on, especially in the lyrics of the song that is he's singing in the plot of the play that that comes out of. So I would say, look that up. I'm not going to go into that here. But he's telling his troupe a story, and he is explaining about how now his ex-wife and he 
he's very visibly frustrated is what it feels like. And it seems like he's just tired of the pettiness of everything that went down in this year long process. And he says, technically, before we got married, this couch was hers, but then it was ours for 10 years. And and it was my couch. Like I've lived on that couch. I stepped on that couch. It's, it's our couch, right? Ours now. And now because it was hers before she gets it. And now I have no couch and I'm sitting on the floor is the short version. And that's what he says. Patrick, when I got my first divorce, it was very short marriage of six months and all of our furniture had been gifted to us by my ex-wife or by her family, sorry, uh, before the wedding. And when we got divorced, this exact same thing happened to me. Uh, she left with a U-Haul and they took all of what they considered her furniture because it was given to us by her side of the family. And I slept on a mattress on the floor because the bed frame was taken because it was not mine. And that is like the pettiness of it. Like that is what it ultimately results in. Even when you tell your lawyer, I don't want 55-45. I want 50-50. Like it, it supposedly ends amicably, right? With them both making these compromises. But this crap happens. And you're left sitting on the floor with no couch that you used to think was yours. Conversely, Nicole's ending... When she sees Charlie and Henry reading that letter, one of the last lines of it is, and I'll never stop loving him, even though it doesn't make sense anymore. And that distinguishes the difference between the two of them. Charlie is thinking about the pettiness of the whole divorce process. Now it's disrupted his life and he has to sleep on a couch, right? Like that's his, that's where his focus is. It's not like, oh my God, I don't have my wife anymore. Nicole is, even in her letter, even though she's moved on, we get this note about how she actually did love him. And it was a loss for her of a merit, of a real, like of the relationship and what it meant to her. And, you know, she still, she, she exhibits this multiple times in the film. She, cuts his hair for him and in that very very last scene she turns around and she ties his shoe and there is a different level of love on display between the two of them and i don't have a problem with it at all i think it's tragic um and i think it is the tragedy of divorce and and that's what this whole film is all about is showing us like this is where relationships get to and this is what we go through in order to end them and it just makes it worse there's an irony that exists if we go back to the the therapy session or maybe it's the mediator side i don't know if he's a mediator or a therapist but charlie is on the surface as we mentioned before looking like he's trying to resolve something but what he's really doing is trying to keep things status quo, to stay in control, to keep things routine and predictable. And for Nicole, there's an irony that exists because she loves him deeply, but she's wanting to tear the Band-Aid off and be done with it. I mean, it's weird to see that. You would think that someone who loves that deeply 
is going to be on the other end of it saying, no, I'll share. I'll share what I wrote. But she's the one that wants to end it quickly. She wants to get it done. And in the midst of all that, is still maintaining this deep love, but without a desire to pursue. She has given up from the very beginning, Aaron. There is no point that I saw in the entire movie where she is saying, you know what, maybe this could work. Yet she is depicted as having that more intimate, genuine love for him. She sees the value of what it means to be married to someone through all of the challenges. And the other end of that is Charlie, who, as much as I respect the man for drinking Heineken, he is a serious problem because he sees her as an asset. You're married to me. Look, that's how it's going to be. It's just a part of my life. This is where we're at. And what ends up happening is he starts blame shifting and it turns into an ugly conversation that a lot of stuff comes out. And so by the time we get to the end of it, I teared up when Charlie teared up because in that moment for me, he realized not what he lost, but he, but not just what he lost, but really the value of that. You know Mm -hmm. what? Life can be disruptive. Marriage can be disruptive. That can be a beautiful thing for marriage to be disruptive, that it's important to be able to pivot. I was just talking about this tonight, how my son takes an incredibly long time to go to bed. Like He can't brush his teeth on his own without me telling him two or three times. And by the time we get to bed, and I'm getting ready to read him a story. I'm ready to rush through it because you know what? I got this thing to do. I got I got 30 minutes before I got to blah, 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 blah. You know what that does, Aaron? That completely derails those intimate moments that I want to have with him. And subsequently, if I'm in a hurry to finish getting him put to bed and reading to him, you know, it's Sunday night. We're recording. I've got until 10 to hang out with my wife and everything's on a schedule. I'm like you. Everything's on a schedule. And I have started trying to learn how to pivot. And learn how to make minor adjustments here and there and like back up his bedtime just a little bit so things don't feel rushed and be open to things changing. And I think with Charlie, he didn't want to change. He liked where he was going. He liked knowing that he had Nicole in his back pocket. Even though he didn't feel like he was treating her that way, he was. And Nicole was trying to... She was trying to move forward. She was trying to change. She was trying to evolve. And I think she felt conflicted and she felt suffocated. And by the time we get to the beginning of the movie, she was done. That's, that's exactly right. And that's, that's what I, you know, struggle with too. Just people that have go, this is, it's real. It is, this is how it goes down. And it is so unfortunate because she's made up her mind. Like it's already happening. Like she's, Mentally, she is there. They may be sitting there with a mediator for their separation who wants to try and save the marriage at that point. Charlie is wanting to just stay separated for a little while and see things, ride them out. He doesn't really want to get a divorce yet. She's she's there, man. She is already in that chair at the opening of the film. She's made the decision. The 10 years have built up, and it's it's too late to start the therapy now and try to back that up. And it's like this just impending 
train wreck that's you know about to just happen and you just can't stop it anymore he's he's gone too long he's waited too long um you mentioned earlier let's move on to henry because he's the other big part of this story this is charlie and nicole but there is a son there's a child involved and we see the time spent with him being handled very differently much like you just talked about that we struggle with you struggle with and you're still married like it's not just for divorced families right who only have certain custody aspects of time with their child but how do each of the parents handle their time with henry in your opinion is there any is there any way in which henry can win in this scenario children of divorce because i feel like that's another element in a personal place of reflection that people can go to when they watch this movie is those that have gone through a divorce from the child side, which I have not. I look at Charlie's response to all this as really unique because in most movies, the perspective from the child is either played for laughs or played very stereotypically. Hey, I'm going to have a second dad. Hey, the presents double around Christmas or I have a really good relationship with my stepdad, but a terrible relationship with my regular dad or a really good relationship with my stepmom and a terrible relationship with my mom. There are no step parents at all in this. And rightly so. This isn't that story for Charlie. Excuse me. Not for Charlie for. um, Oh, gosh, my mind went blank. Henry, thank you. I look at him and I think that his performance, honestly, Aaron, I don't know that I got enough of him to really make a fair assessment. What I'll say is that what I got from him was in relationship to both Charlie and Nicole. And I think what we saw was an equal valuing of him to the point of him becoming the asset that they didn't want to split, that he was the reason to one person why Nicole moved to L.A., uh, but he's also got ties to to Charlie. What I think is beneficial from both of them is they both love to play with him. They both have their own unique moments with him. And for for Charlie, I think that was depicted probably more so than it was with Nicole. And so I think what what Charlie was fighting for was a sense of normalcy with with Henry. So if he wants to maintain that control, that main that maintain that normalcy, Henry was that for him. If he couldn't have Nicole, the next best thing was his son. And I think that we didn't get a lot of his perspective, at least in my opinion. And you can you can help me with that if if we did, but the fact is I think this became about them and he became collateral damage. Yes. And I mean I think that that is what is intentionally being depicted is that in the majority of these situations, your children are going to be the collateral damage because everything about the relationship is focused on the divorce and the parents are focused on going through this process. There is this moment where Charlie comes back for his day of visitation and he spends the entire day walking Henry around to different lawyers to try and find 
a lawyer to represent him. It's something that he has to do because Nora has made it painfully clear that he is screwed if he doesn't. But he's also trying to balance that this is my only time with my son while I'm here. And Henry point blank asks him at the end of the day, he says, why did you bring me with you if you weren't going to spend time with me? If you didn't want to spend time with me. And it breaks my heart because I get it. And, you know, I've, I've been there, I guess, as a, as a parent who you're suddenly given these crazy constraints on the amount of time you can spend with your child. Like, who does that? Like, first of all, like, that's, just the fact that that exists is insane. Like that there's this outside presence in this world that can tell you, you only get X amount of time with your own child is, is mind boggling. And so, you know, no matter what the feelings around that are, that's the reality. And yes, you have to spend that time differently. People always joke or talk about how much free time I have, Patrick. Because I have a ton, right? You see me watching movies all night, every night, or whatever. The reason I have that free time is because I don't have my kids all the time. I have them once every, you know, couple weekends. And then, you know, I see them more than that because I have a good relationship. But, you know, I choose not to disrupt their world in the weeks when they have school and not make them live in two different places and travel extra time because it, because it's best for them. Um, but my point is that it is an impossible situation for parents, whether it be the dad, whether it be the mom, but specifically for the parent that is given less time, who has to find a way to balance their actual rest of their life and yet try to cram all this stuff in, man. The Halloween scene, it just... it. It all breaks my heart so much because (laughs) he wants to take him to Halloween and he's proud of these costumes. And so it becomes this negative event for Henry where he wants him to wear this costume. And Henry's like, I don't want to wear that because he hasn't been interacting with his dad for two weeks. He wants to wear the ninja. But that hurts Charlie's feelings. And Charlie just wants to go trick or treat with the kid, you know. That gets taken away from him. And so it's like second Halloween. Like who, what's a second Halloween, right? And he's trying at like nine, 10, 11 o'clock at night to go get candy with poor Henry, who's ready to pass out. Henry's not having fun. And it looks like it's, it's a vilification of Charlie. It looks like Charlie's like this awful father who's just thinking of himself. I assure you that is not the case, right? That is not fully the case. Like, it's from a place of wanting to be able to provide something and have that relationship with this kid that he can't have. And so this movie shows us that mm-hmm. like really painfully, honestly though. Um, and it's, it's tough. And, and I hope that people, when they see it, realize that and don't just think that Charlie is just being selfish in those moments because there is way more to it than that. Right. There is context that again, we don't know about. And, I think it it goes back to being able to challenge our perceptions of what we think. When I watch that Halloween scene, there's something really interesting that happens at the end of that night. 
they come back to the, I guess, the hotel. Henry dumps out his candy and he says, hey, will you play with me? Something that early on, that's a character trait of Charlie's. And what does he say? Man, I'm beat. I just want to take my shoes off. I just want to. And he goes and grabs a beer. And from one perspective, that can look like, dude, Charlie, why are you being a douche? Play with your child, which I'm saying that to myself, too. Dude, don't you have an opportunity to come home and see your kid. And he want, he says, come play with me. And you're like, nope, I got to make dinner. I'm going to go rake the leaves. True story. Did those things. Have done those things. Because I had the convenience of saying, I'm going to see my kid later. Later. Yeah. Having the perspective of Charlie, who is doing all he can to make sure that he spends time with this child under crap circumstances. At some point, you just have to give in. You're just exa- You're spent. Physically, emotionally, mentally. And I don't know if Charlie was necessarily in his right mind or thinking rationally, but if I put myself in his position, I don't know that he would have been a good playmate for Henry at that point. Because I'd rather be I'd rather be taking a nap and give my energy back than to be a sucky playmate and sucky dad to my son. To be real just antagonistic or griping all the time or griping in that moment. And it, it's hard to watch that because I want to gravitate towards Charlie. Stop being a jerk. This is the only time you get with your kid. And I, I have to try to put myself in a position to think what is actually going on here. And I think that's a good tension to wrestle with because we don't know. And, and Bombeck says, you don't know. And that's okay. I'm trying to show you. Live with this tension for a couple of hours. Live with this tension for a few minutes and know that being a single dad and having this limited time with your son, it can be exhausting, but it's not his fault. It's the circumstances that make it exhausting because you have to truncate all these things that you want to do. And so in some ways, I'm like, yeah, wear the outfit for your dad, even though (laughs) Henry's got all the reasons in the world not to. And there's, there's, there's so much tension going back and forth between these three individuals that you don't really know who to fight for or who to fight with. And it makes it kind of frustrating in a good way because you're not meant to really be on anybody's side at that point. Nobody's at fault and everybody's at fault because everybody's reacting to the situation and trying to make the best decision for themselves and for the other people involved. They are right. What they think is the best decision at the time. And, and that is the thing is that it's Henry is the innocent victim in all of this. Henry and the child in any scenario is the one that does not have an active role in this situation, in this tension, in this divorce. And yet they are taking in all of this fallout. And one thing that I will say I appreciated about this movie is that usually in films that depict divorce and its effect on the kids, you end up with families that are just split. And there's not a lot of effort to be made about good co-parenting. And I'm going to get on my soapbox for a moment because this is important to me. Because it's about the kid, 
It's not about you. And I really appreciate that when we come full circle, we have seen poor choices. We've seen arguments over, I want to do this, but it's my day and I'm not going to let you. And that sucks, Patrick. That sucks. I've have been there. I've been there and it sucks. Okay. When I want to take the kid and do this really cool special thing. Oh, but it's my day and I'm going to take him to a movie. Well, take him to a movie some other time. I really want to do this one special thing. Now my day. It is, it is, it hurts. It's hard. But in the end, we see them get to that place that I really hope that all divorced couples can get to who are married or who are married with kids is that, Hey, he's tired. I'm going to take him back. Oh, but it's your day. Are you sure? Yeah, it's better. It's fine. Go ahead. It's that compromise, that sacrifice, that the kid's not an asset anymore. He's, I'm, I'm going to get plenty of time with my child. And I want, and it, it's an acknowledgement that the child's relationship with the other parent is as important as the child's relationship with yourself. Right. And Nicole gets there, right? And I, I really appreciate that because I don't see that in a lot of movies. And that's super duper important to me because I think that there are so many kids out there that don't have that. And they deal with divorced parents who don't talk or fight, um, or talk shit about each other to the kids. And I mean, went through that process too during the divorce, but I'm talking about after the divorce. Kids who live during every week of their life with their dad talking trash about their mom. And then they go live with their mom for a weekend. Or they live with their mom for, and they talk trash about what kind of a bum their dad is. And I think we get to see an ideal scenario. I mean, even in the briefest of moments, there at the end of this film, but it, it gives me hope um, for this family. And I really, really, it's probably like my favorite thing about this whole movie is that it ends with that beat. And that is what it really means to be a healthy family. It doesn't necessarily have to mean that you're staying together. As someone who values marriage and values till death do us part and getting through all the stuff that could potentially be deal breakers, I find equal value in those families who, whose parents look at each other and say, you know what? It's not just that I want you to be a better dad or a better mom to my son or daughter. It's that our family is still just that. We just look different. And I know that that's a difficult thing to understand. And I know that I don't understand that. But the fact is family is defined by a lot of different things. And a healthy family can exist even if the parents are not together. I want that. I want that for so many of these broken families where the other parent is not the enemy. It doesn't need to be that way because as long as it stays that way, the kids are the collateral damage. They continue to stay as the asset. They continue to stay as the thing that you fight for when nothing needs to be fought for anymore. And that's wrong. Kids don't, I'm not going to say that kids don't need to be fought for. They do. But when they become the object of your affection as a means to get back at your form, appropriately enough pissed me off about this movie is Nora. 
play. I mean, it, it's a fantastic, fantastic performance by Laura Dern. And so I'm going to say that up front, but she is evil, absolutely evil. And there is a scene that put me over the edge with her. It's where she's describing the role of men. And, you, and you're laughing because, I mean, this is what – and yes, I take offense to it because I am a man. But what she does in that conversation is she puts this toxic mentality into Nicole's head or at least attempts to, to say that, you know what? Charlie's just that. He's a man. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He is this kind of stereotype, and there's no redemption for him. He is this flat person that we need to attack and we need to take down. But there's a moment of redemption, not for her, but with with Nicole where she says, I got you 55-45. And Nicole says, no, I mean 50-50. It's, that's what I want. I want equal share here. And she's like, no, we need to make sure that we get you a little bit more. Nora's whole person, she's a man hater is what she is. And this is where I get frustrated, where I get frustrated as an audience, because I'm like, this is what divorces don't need to have. They don't need to have these outside influences reinforcing the fact that you deserve more than you do. And maybe that's the case, Aaron. Maybe it's absolutely the case that she needs, she gets to take Henry and she needs to live in LA and Henry needs to stay with her because Charlie is not a good parent. Maybe that's the case. But to reinforce that and to basically feed this apprehension or feed this maybe doubt that that Nicole might have and making it certain, it frustrates me because it doesn't create reconciliation even with a divorce. It creates more tension that is completely killing every person involved in that. And I, if that's by design... Man, congratulations, Bombot, because you made me feel that, and I don't like it. I don't like that. Good. I mean, I, I'm glad you don't. I think I'm glad you brought up the lawyers because that's where I wanted to go next. Anyway, is there's three, and I think they're all fantastically played, and they all offer kind of a slightly different perspective. And again, caveat from earlier, we're dealing with celebrity lawyers that are being imagined here. This is not necessarily everyday lawyers, right? There's a different level there. However, it can be like this for even the cheapest of divorces, um, the least, I guess, famous of divorces. And it's not just Nora. It's not just Nora. And I actually absolutely agree. I would push back on that, that she's evil. And I've been waiting to say this because you've been doing nothing but tell me how evil Nora is. Like every time for like two days now, you're just like Nora with like a little devil face in a text. <laughs> I, I, I thought that your one word takeaway was going to be Nora. But no. <laughs> um, when Charlie meets Jay, Jay starts explaining to him how this works. And he talks about how hard it is once you let your kid leave the state, which I can relate to because I said earlier, I lived this with two coasts and I let, and I put that in quote air quotes right now because you don't really let your spouse do anything. Like my wife, she took the kids and we separated and it caused me all kinds of issues because I was in Pennsylvania and she was in Washington state and that's where they were from. It was very eerily similar, right? But we were living in Pennsylvania. What I thought because of the Navy, but no, this is where they're from. And so it created this, and Jay's explaining all of this to Charlie, and you can see Charlie's just overwhelmed, like, 
what is all this crazy red tapeness going on? But that's how it is. But he tells him when he asks if Nicole is doing drugs and Charlie's like, what the heck, man? And Jay says, we're not going to win if she's the perfect mother. And then he says, divorce lawyers see good people at their worst. And he says, if she starts at a place of crazy, meaning Nora, which he knows she's going to do in what she asks for, and we start at a place of reasonable, then maybe we can get half of crazy. Half of crazy is still crazy. And there's a recognition and it, it shines through in that awful courtroom scene. And I will say that's not something I can relate to. Thank God that I never had to go to court and fight that out where I sit there and I painfully watch both Charlie and Nicole. Ah, my goodness, a stupid episode Whew. Um, with their heads down, dejected as their lawyers spew this awful crap about each other on their behalves. They're not even saying it themselves. And right. Of course that comes out later. But yes, it is a disgusting, awful process yeah. where I would push back a little is that, well, I agree that I don't want this to be the way that these things happen. Nora is doing her job 110% and that's why she's good at it because she truly believes in Nicole. Absolutely. And she is fighting for what Nicole should get and what Nicole should deserve. And I agree with you that she is not necessarily the best person. She is definitely spinning things. One of the things that stuck out to me about Nora though, was how she provided something that Nicole had been longing for in that moment, in that scene that you were talking about where she first meets her in her office, Nicole goes on this she Nora sits on the couch and asks her what's going on. And Nicole goes through this really long monologue that starts off and it just, she just starts rambling further and further and further and it gets deeper and it goes farther back. And it's, it's like a therapy session, but Nora's a lawyer and Bombeck does something very important. I think he puts us two or three times he cuts and we see just Nora framed sitting on the couch in the center of the screen while Nicole's talking off screen. Nora never interrupts her. She doesn't interject. She doesn't try to tell her what's right or what's wrong. She lets her talk. And then she gets to the part where she cheated, where he cheated. And Nora's like, well, we're going to get him. And she hugs her. But there is an, a point here where Nora is providing this listener, this communication that Nicole has been aching for forever. Because Nicole hasn't ever had someone just listen to her. She's had a director a coworker who wants to give her notes, right? Or who cuts her off all the freaking time and tells her why she's wrong. Nora just lets her talk. And that is very, very important. And I would also say that while it comes off as very man hating at the end, when she goes on her little diatribe about how <laughs> it's hilarious though, when she's like, Joseph wasn't even, didn't even get her pregnant. <laughs> you know, like he's not even the real dad and da dad's gone, which of course is not true. But, um, you know, for the purposes of her angry rant, it was funny. But she says, we accept an F up dad, but the mother will always be held to a higher standard. And she's like, you cannot show any weakness. You cannot have problems. And that's a problem with society because that's true. And Nora is absolutely right. That's why she's fighting so hard because 
like Alan Alda says, Bert, to Charlie at one point. During his conversation, he says, Yes, this system is crap, man. But it's in place to protect women from those men who would do nothing, who are very plentiful out there, who don't give a crap about them or their kids. Yeah. And that's why it exists. And it, yeah. we need to find a system that can distinguish between the ones that want to provide support and care and ones that don't. Well, and this is this is why I think it's so tragic for Charlie and Nicole, because they're not these people. And and I think that's where my frustration with Nora came from. And I, I think it's a it's not a it's not a legit frustration. It's a really like, oh, my gosh, stop doing this, because I I think I'm fighting for Charlie at this point because he's not the guy that she's describing. And I'd like to believe with as much integrity that if this ever happened to me, that I wouldn't be that guy either. I mean, I'm fighting for the people that I know that have been divorced, the dads that are going through this or have gone through this that are not those people. They're not the deadbeat dads that don't care about their children. And you're right, Aaron. The reality is you don't build a law around the exception. You build a law around the rule. And both of the lawyers are right that this is the reality of the world we live in when it comes to broken relationships that typically, typically the dad is the one that can have all the faults and the mom is the one that's held to a higher standard. She is absolutely right. So in all of my, all of my frustration with, with her, she speaks truth. And I think that it's validated by that conversation that you mentioned earlier, that she just sits there. It got a little awkward at first because she's like getting really close, like into Nicole's personal space where she's like, tell me your story. I'm like, is she coming on to her? This is weird. But she does. She absolutely listens to her. And what she does is she validates how she's feeling. She validates her story, validates her experience. And she has something now with this experience and with this conversation that she can build off of. It's not just about her getting 33%. It's not about her allowing Nicole to get what she deserves. It's about having a reason behind it. I think it's important for Nora equally as much as it is for Nicole because when she fights for someone, she wants to fight for them. She's not fighting for the legality. She's fighting for the person. And so where that comes from, if it's because she's just an experienced lawyer, because it's said that she's one of the best, maybe it comes from the fact that she has a broken relationship of her own. It doesn't really matter. It still feels genuine. So even though I think she's evil, tongue in cheek, I think she has a legit right to feel the way she does because of the job that she's in, because of the possible experiences that she's had, and because of what she has to do in the future. She has to be able to be hardcore that scene in the courtroom Aaron was gross absolutely gross because you're mm -hmm. right you're sitting there watching the two people that are being quote fought for and they're being played they're the assets and Ray Liotta who's just this great skeezy like like New York kind of lawyer just he starts attacking Nora and she starts attacking him and it's it's incredibly hilarious and incredibly gross at the same time and <laughs> I think it's one of the things that keeps the tension a little bit light because it goes from attacking the clients to attacking each other. And you start to realize this is just what they do on a Tuesday. I mean, they're used to this. They've probably been in courtrooms before where they're just going to 
they have the ability to dialogue with one another and it's it's a wrestling match at that point i just hate the fact that two people charlie and nicole who as we've gotten to know them don't deserve this are getting are having to experience this yeah it is it's it's a whirlwind that you get caught up in and you're stuck in it before you know it's those little steps that push people down these paths it's a recommendation to go get a lawyer when you don't want to get a lawyer. And that's how my divorce started, Patrick. We just wanted to, quote-unquote, stay friends. We were going to do it ourselves. No one is going to get a lawyer. And decisions couldn't be made. Frustrations were being had. Couldn't come to agreements. Started to have things. And, you know, someone files. And... It becomes a massive fight from there on, and it just starts snowballing. And it's like once it starts, you can't stop that. Um, and it, and it, it is tragic to just watch it slowly burn down the way it does in this movie. Well, so any, any important factor or another important factor in any divorce, I think, and getting through it is who you have around you. What did you think about the support systems? and or lack thereof for Nicole and Charlie. I actually thought this was one of the more levity-filled sections of the movie. And I think that you need that emotionally because when you experience something like this, supposedly, I continue to say that, it's probably beneficial to have people around you that can keep it light, that you'll have people that you have a shoulder to cry on, but at the same time, you'll need people there to be able to say, let's go get a beer or make the occasional joke here and there. I thought from an audience standpoint, we needed that support system just as much as Charlie and Nicole did because we were feeling that weight. And so being around Nicole's family, I thought was pretty fantastic. I think having even some of the some of the banter with with uh, with Charlie's first lawyer was kind of fun, even though it was somewhat heavy and the subject matter was. But I think having that family there allows for you to be able to smile, to be able to release some of that pressure that you're feeling, and to be reminded that, you know what, life will go on, that things will get better, and that you're going to have people around you that still love you and that are still that same role for you that they were even before this happened. I love Charlie's relationship with Nicole's mom. I think that it's something that I'm grateful that it while it changes, it doesn't necessarily diminish that there's still a sense of connection, even though it's not through his relationship with Nicole. Um, I also think Nicole's sister is pretty, pretty hilarious <laughs> in terms of just her being around. I think she's got this when she has to serve the papers to Charlie. I think that scene is just hilarious because it's so awkward. And it could have been played for drama, like, I don't want to serve him these. I don't want to do that. Where instead she's like making it like a performance. And Nicole's like, this isn't an act. You don't have, this isn't a performance. You're not going to get notes on it. You just give him the papers. And so that whole scene that could have been played very dramatically, I thought was really done well as a little bit of a tension release because the whole time you're sitting there going, when's he going to see the papers? When's he going to see the papers? And we even get some of those those quirks that he mentions earlier about the fact that Nicole leaves the cabinet doors open and she does that. And so when she leaves the room, he comes in, he's he's doing and he opens the cabinet door and then he closes it again and closes the other one because, you know, Nicole's been there. So having those moments that reflect 
the types of relationships that we begin to understand and get to know. I love the fact that some of those still exist by the end of the movie. The the scene at Halloween, which by the way feels like a little great redemption, a holiday, you know, where the the Halloween that we experienced before was so crappy for for Charlie. This one, he's actually what is it, a ghost of a beetle, I suppose. Yeah, and, it's the Beatles, something the Beatles. Yeah, but the fact that a year later they're able to enjoy this together, even though the dynamic has changed. There's still some common ground there with the relationships there that are there, and I think it, I, I think it's great. Yeah, I, I would agree. I don't have a ton of them to point out, you know, individually that come to mind right away. But there, there are just these little beats of levity, like you said, within the heaviness of the drama, and it usually comes from either the lawyers or from the supporting characters, whether it's the troop that Charlie goes back to that is clearly so loving of him and in a family for him at one point even refers to them that way. And you can tell that there is like a way, a a way that he cares about them and that they care about him that is unique. And it is something that you really need in going through this process. The scene with her and her sister, which is so funny when she's going to deliver the papers, probably one of the funny scenes in the whole thing. And she's terrified of like how she's going to serve these papers and the apple pie. And then she's like, Oh, you got served. Let me take that back. (laughs) And then she gives it back to him and she's like, okay, now it's official. And it's so awkward, but it's funny. And I think that without that, Patrick, this movie wouldn't have worked because it would have been too heavy. It would have been too hard to live in. But I also think that it's realistic because those awkward, funny beats are going to happen. Exactly. Right. Um, things like making mistakes when you're so rattled because you're trying to be perfect for this child services person that's in your home, like evaluating you. And those are very just natural things to do, like accidentally cutting yourself, right? Because you're just not even paying attention. And I find those refreshing in this movie. I think my favorite scene um not of the movie but my favorite scene that gave me the the biggest laugh was that whole sequence with the social worker she i don't know who the actress is but she played that so well of just being kind of tight-lipped and just literally just observing the whole thing the whole bit with with charlie trying to open the door for her with this bloody arm. And she's like trying to avoid not getting hit with all this blood. And I, I just, it, it was so good. What I thought was really interesting. And I, I, I didn't really realize this until we started talking about it. If we look at the support system for both Charlie and Nicole, I don't recall, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't recall one moment that we got where the troop or Nicole's family ever badmouthed the other person. There was never a sense of saying, you don't need her anymore. You don't need him anymore. There was never that kind of yes man that existed. And again, I don't know if it was by design, but it was really about consoling the individual. That scene at the restaurant where he, before he gets up and, and does the song, he tells the couch story and they're like, man, it's okay. It's going to be okay. They never say, you don't need that girl. They never say that. Why? Partly because they love Nicole, just like he does. And they value her as an actress and as part of this family of of performance. 
but I love that. I love the fact that, you know, as you mentioned earlier, the thing that can be so toxic is when you have those yes men that are just feeding you that potential lie or half truth about the other person that just further reinforces what could potentially just be a continued bad relationship instead of just saying, look, I'm here for you. Let's not worry about Nicole. Let's not worry about Charlie. What do you need? Um, and I, and I love that. I love relationships that focus on the person and don't have to necessarily reinforce that, oh, this person's a B or that person's a, you know, a douche or whatever. It can be a sense of supporting that one of the person without necessarily bashing the other. Yep. Totally, totally agree. Well, I wanted to also point out just, you know, when I call something like my favorite movie and also the best movie, there are exceptional technical elements to this movie. I believe not just the acting, but the way the film is shot cinematography wise. If you may have noticed this, I don't know, but when they are starting with the montage of the past and reading the letters, it's very grainy almost as if it's a home video that is playing on a VCR or on the playback of a video camera handheld. When they are in Los Angeles, the cinematography is very bright, very shiny and crisp, indicative of the sun and kind of just the overall aesthetic. Lots of space. Lots Lots of of space. space. Yep. When you're in New York, it's very muted um, it's very cramped uh, as uh, in opposition to what we get in L.A. It's just very distinct to me. And it was an intentionality of making each area reflect kind of the feelings that came along with being in either of those spaces or the time period. And I really like that. The score here by Randy Newman, I feel, is fantastic. I think it is just really, really well done. Um, it's not ever... To the point where it takes over scenes, it always accentuates them. And so I just thought that pretty much every piece of this film was kind of perfect. (laughs) A perfect marriage, if you will. Hopefully they don't get a divorce and we get a bad film later. But uh, I don't know how that would work. So the director's cut, right? The director's cut. The film elements divorce. Never mind. Now I'm really going off the rails. (laughs) Point being is... I think it's exceptional in all regards, uh, even the technical stuff that we don't usually don't talk about. It's a, it's a very complete film. I mean, it's something that I think everything felt deliberate and we've talked about that on the show. We don't talk a lot about the technicals, but the things that I pick up on when I love a movie is when I see that the technicals really reinforce what's happening in the film from an emotional standpoint. I think that's a real value when we were um, before the, before tonight's episode, um, one of the, the documentaries that you and I have uh, discussed offline is making waves, which is uh, a documentary about the, the sound portion of a film, not only just the sound effects, but the voice, the ADR, the Foley, the ambient, the music, all these things that go into tickling your ears and how that goes to enhance the film. And I think in the same way, when you have those technicals that really go to reinforce the narrative, it makes the, the movie that much better and I think that the, everything that went into Marriage Story helped elevate it just like that. Could not agree more. Absolutely. And that's a great documentary. I think it's out in theaters right now, Making Waves. So folks, look for that in your area. It's really, really good. Well, let's wrap everything up here. Um, we will get into our connecting points. 
and I will defer to you. The one scene that we haven't talked about is the one scene that I think will probably be used to show, uh, it'll be the clip that's shown at the Oscars for the, the nominations that will be coming out of this movie. And that is what I'm quoting as the conversation or the scene in Charlie's apartment that leads to a hole in the wall. <laughs> and, um, full disclosure, I have done that. I have put a hole in our wall and it stayed very much, uh, there for close to a year. We actually covered it up with some of my son's art because there was a birthday party that was happening later that day and we didn't get it taken care of until like a year later. All that being said, I know that frustration. Um, when you watch this scene play out, this is where communication really comes on full display. It starts out with what seems like a very cordial conversation. Both Charlie and Nicole are incredibly tired. They're incredibly broke. <laughs> they have poured all this money into their lawyers trying to square this. And they've, what seems, have come full circle and they've said, can we just get this resolved? And I, d I don't know what I expected to come from this, but I thought it was going to be a potentially just short conversation, maybe some resolution. And what came out was probably one of the most raw, the most authentic, the most honest, uninhibited conversations between two people that I've ever seen depicted on screen. Um, it was, it was ugly and it was visceral and it was all these things that I, I, I just felt awkward being in that situation. One of the candidates for my one more takeaway was therapist because I felt like in this scene I was a therapist just watching these two go at it and what you see Aaron is this elevation of the nasty freedom that you have when you know something's over and you can just let things fly and there were things that were said that I think both of them wanted to say to each other that they couldn't because they didn't one, want to hurt each other's feelings, or two, they were afraid to. And the beautiful tragedy of this is that all of the things that were said about what Charlie needed and what Nicole needed, how Charlie accused Nicole of, quote, being here, and then when you were done, you were done. And Nicole saying that, you never really wanted to be married. Leading to what I did not expect after the punch to the wall, which is Charlie saying, I have thought about you dead. And I was like, what? Did he just say that? And, and he repeats it. And he repeats it again. And it broke my heart. Because in that moment, it told me that Charlie was just not just done, but he was like, this was never something I wanted. It was his admission that he never wanted this. And the scene ends with him breaking down saying, he's sorry. I'm so sorry. Being held by Nicole. And I left that scene going, how is she feeling right now? Because you said it before, when you say something, you can't take it back. It's out there. 
And to know that someone feels that way about you or felt that way about you was so absolutely devastating to hear. But at the same time, Aaron, it was necessary because I felt like up to that moment, they weren't able to say the things that they needed to say to get to a place where they understood each other. And it was a place that led to them not being able to be together. And this is where I think the director really makes his point. He says, this was never about reconciliation. This was about understanding what the other person wanted, what the other person needed. And whether or not we believe that the marriage should have stayed together from our personal worldviews, the fact is they needed to have that conversation in order to understand. And yes, for my money, it would have been fantastic personally for them to understand that about each other and work through it. But from a narrative standpoint, just knowing that they were able to have that conversation and then end up in that final scene where she is tying his shoe and he's holding their son, not his son, not her son, but their son. And he walks away. There is a beauty there in that ugliness that comes out. And to me, that's hopeful. That is absolutely hopeful. It's not necessarily reconciliation. I mean, yes, I guess it is to an extent, but not to the reconciliation that we want. Like, oh, and they got back together and everything was great and they just worked through all that stuff. No. Sometimes when two people choose not to be together, it is ugly. But it takes a level of honesty and a level of directness and a level of vulnerability that I don't necessarily support in a scene like that. But if it can lead to a sense of understanding that's better for that family and keeps that family together, even if it's defined differently, man, that's a good thing. It's a good thing. And sometimes you need that darkness. You need that ugliness to get to that place of beauty. Uh, that's a really beautiful way to say it there at the end there. Um, I struggle because this was a very tight race between uh, my number one and number two moments, I guess. And, you know, this was there for me too. And like you, you know, I've punched a wall <laughs> and I've had this fight or I've, I've, I've had specifically a version of this specific fight. And it is just an incredibly perfectly acted and directed scene as well because of the slow build that occurs because it just starts off as two people sitting down with a drink and talking and not even knowing what to say. And it's over the course of this time and moving around the room that we get to this in your face. And I love the way that as it begins escalating, Noah's camera work starts to, he, he makes sure that it comes closer and closer. And we start to go from wide shots to more in close on the characters all the way up to where at one point we're eventually just getting just a close up of Scarlett's face versus a close up of Adam's face as they're arguing. And it just makes that ratchet up inside of you. Um, and, and I think that you're right. It's on both sides though. You know, she says, I can't believe I have to know you for the rest of my life. And that's really what starts that ultimate exchange of like hatred that comes out. And then the, I hope you die. And yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I think that the I'm sorry is not even so much of I'm sorry for saying I hope you die. I think that's part of it. 
I think it's him saying, I'm sorry that we got to this point. And maybe I'm reading into it because, you know, that's my life is that you get to a point where you made choices and you neglected it for so long. And now it's here. And even if you wanted to go back and fix it, you, you can't undo and forget. People say all the time, you know, you can forgive, but you can't forget. There are some things that are just nearly impossible to get past and they've reached that point. And you think he's acknowledging that in that moment. And it is really heartbreaking, but also encouraging and sweet and hopeful because of the way she's still responding to him and holding him. And, oh man, yeah, it is, it's a stunner of a scene and it is definitely, I agree with you. It'll be the one that gets highlighted during the Oscars um, clips for sure. Well, the other one for me is when Alan Aldo's Bert and Laura Dern's Nora are having a meeting and Charlie and Nicole are in the boardroom. And this is another great moment where we see Nora's or uh, Nicole still caring about Charlie too, where they're having it out and arguing about who's at blame and what's where, where each of them is going to live and all of this. And they decide to order lunch and Charlie can't figure it out. And Nicole grabs it and says, he'll have this, this, and this in the midst of this argument. Right. And she's still looking out for him, even though she's upset. And Nora is pretty much destroying them and winning everything at this point. And Bert calls for a sidebar and, in this little conversation they have, Charlie is extremely frustrated and Bert is explaining to him that he's in a no win situation and that nothing he does can be right. That if he stayed in New York, he'd be wrong. If he came out here, he'd be wrong. And he reminds Charlie that thing I talked about earlier about how that system is set up this way to protect from deadbeat parents. And Bert suggests at this point that Charlie should do what Nora asks and what Nicole wants and move to where his kids are. And Charlie's like, that's why I'm here. That's why I'm here. Um, and Bert says, you got to do what's best for Henry and not for yourself. And Charlie says, this is the thing. He needs to know that I fought for him. And Bert says, he'll know. And it, it started to wreck me in a big way because, again, with the way that Brombach brilliantly directs the scene, we get a shot at this point of Charlie and he is standing in the corner and his head's down and his hands over his mouth and he's clicking his teeth ever so quietly and he just shakes his head and he says i should never have let her come out here with henry and bert says very wisely what well, doesn't matter you'd be fighting about something regardless and then he starts to tell charlie a joke to try and get a point across charlie is just so upset right so frustrated. And he's like, am I paying you for this joke? Get to the point. And Bert very calmly says, 
whatever happens here is temporary. He's going to grow up, and he's going to have opinions on the matter. Maybe he'll do college in New York. This is this is the thing. And it goes back to that talk we had earlier about kids and getting stuck in the middle. In that moment, you think you're fighting for him. And Charlie truly believes, like, I need him to know that I wanted to be with him. But it's not necessarily what's best for Henry at that point. And the reality is that when you divorce each other, you are in this situation, whether you like it or not. He's got to go somewhere. And if you guys aren't going to agree to live in the same place, the child is going to be without a parent. I spent two years living on a different coast, partially because I had to, because I couldn't, couldn't move. I was in the Navy and I would come back once every six months and spend like two weeks and I would try to cram two weeks of, you know, six months of time into two weeks. And you want to know what I did, Patrick? The moment I got the chance, the first thing I did was I just came back. I don't know if my life would have brought me back to Washington State once I was divorced. My life brought me back to where my kids were and where it was best for my kids to be. And I'm still here because this is where my kids are and this is what's best for my kids to be. And at some point, when a relationship doesn't work out and you have children, as adults, you have to get to that point where you realize you have changed your life forever and your wants and your desires not are no longer priority. That whatever you need to do to make it best for that child and to be able to be the best parent you can be under the circumstances for that child, that is the priority. And whatever you can make of your own life around that, kudos, go for it. Knock yourself out. And I think that it is just perfectly captured in this moment, um, both for the characters and both for the audience. And and this is and it's my hope that anybody watching that struggles with this and sees this is moved by what Bert says, honestly. And it and it, it hits home for them too. That it is it's temporary. And that he's still gonna be your son and he's still gonna love you. But you also need to make the choices that benefit him. Even if it hurts you like crazy in the short term. And, uh, and so like that had to be my connection point. I think when I watch that scene play out, it reminds me that Henry is the linchpin that allows Charlie to realize that he can pivot and that it's okay that his life doesn't have to be planned out or controlled. And in a lot of ways, yes, the divorce is helping to change that. But I think if Henry wasn't in the picture, it would have been an easier decision for him to get through because one, he wouldn't have had a focal point to fight for. Nicole moves to LA. He's like, okay, I'll stay in New York. And I never want to think of kids as assets or things to be grabbed or, or, or taken or, or whatever. But the fact is Henry was a, a pivot for him. It was an opportunity for him to say, it's worth it 
in the long term to give this up. And I have to trust that my son still loves me. And here's the thing. Unlike movies like Manchester by the Sea or even Joker, this, I think, hits an element of hope at the end. Not for two people to get back together, but for specifically for Charlie. I'm just going to focus on him for him to realize that even though things change, the things that ultimately matter to him, the love that he has for his son and his son's love for him don't, they evolve and they may move and they, I guess they do change, but they don't alter in a way that he loves him one day and he doesn't another. And it reminds me of the relationship with my son, which, you know, while you were talking, I was really tempted to go hug my son who's now sleeping. Um, the fact is there are things that I do right now that I regret. There are times when I yell at my son. There are times when I just get on his case about things and it comes from a place of frustration that probably doesn't have anything to do with him. But I was reminded tonight with a conversation with some friends that even if you're doing the little things, spending time with him for a few minutes, reading a chapter of a book, it's going to have an impact on him. And you may not ever hear about that impact but know that you may not get those, even though you may not get those in immediate kudos or those immediate, that immediate feedback, you're doing something that's going to influence him. And I think for Charlie, he realized that the battle to keep Henry close to him was futile because the bigger thing that he was going to gain would be a reconciled relationship with his estranged wife that would help all three of them. And so I think it's, the fact that it ends up the way it does, I think is a great coda to their story, to their marriage story. I will also say this. Not everyone is going to be the same committed type of parent. That is a reality of situations. It does not mean you love your child less, but that is reality. And in this, we get a very distinctive view of two different people, a mother who does take some extra time out to really think about what her child might like. And then we get that scene that for me was really powerful. One of understanding where Charlie is laying on the floor, bleeding out <laughs> essentially. <laughs> and, you know, Henry asks him if he needs help. And I think, and maybe I'm reading into this, but I fully believe like in that moment, Charlie realizes I'm not the best person for him to live with full time. Like I am not the most capable parent to be his primary guardian. And I think that's because the next, literally the next thing is Nora telling her Charlie gave up. Basically Charlie quit fighting. And I believe that it's because of that moment, because in that whole experience with that child services agent, he realizes like I'm doing this all for show and that, in reality, I'm laying here on the ground bleeding out while my son is brushing his teeth and washing his hands or whatever he was doing. And I'm incapable of taking care of him in the same way that his mother is. And I need to be honest about that. And I would rather someone be honest about that mm -hmm. than hurt that child or hinder that child's life and upbringing because they were so selfish that they treated him like an asset. Like yeah. yeah. And that was one of the other one word takeaways that was a container was act. 
the fact that a lot of what was going on was an act. It was a, a play that people were doing their parts. And it wasn't until that big moment, that big conversation that they weren't acting. They were telling it like it was. And they were and like that moment that you just mentioned, those realities that these two main characters are realizing, wow, this is what it is. And getting past that allows them to, to move forward. Well, that officially wraps up another episode of Feel and Film. We got through it with a hopefully still a decent box of tissues over there. Um, uh, Aaron, thanks for being vulnerable and for uh, for sharing part of your story. I think it was incredibly valuable to the conversation. So Christmas time is upon us officially, and with it, our annual Christmas movie is uh, going to be covered. This year, we revisit the classic Miracle on 34th Street, starring Natalie Wood doing the worst impression of a monkey I've ever seen. And that will be followed up in two weeks with a double episode drop. Yes, you heard it from us. More content. If Thanksgiving week wasn't enough for you, we've got a double episode coming up with our coverage of Bombshell and Star Wars Rise of Skywalker. Just in time for your Christmas traveling, Christmas breaking, or whatever the heck you're doing. (laughs) Aaron, thank you for another great conversation, and we will talk soon. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoy the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at Film or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places and would love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling film.